Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to worship. Today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, We've been studying together as a church the Lord's Prayer on Sunday morning and in our small groups. But when we planned this service many months ago, uh, that we had no way of knowing that this Lent, in the days before Easter, we'd be in a global pandemic at a time when the world would return to this great prayer. Even marginally religious people have in recent days uttered the Our Father. This remains the global go-to prayer in times of trouble. But we've been learning this prayer is not just for times of trouble. This is a prayer for all seasons and all times. But I understand that many people find this prayer especially comforting right now. And right about now, since we've been cooped up in our homes for a week, some of you two weeks, maybe some of you three weeks, this might be a very good time to look at what Jesus had to say about forgiveness. Because right about now, we probably need some forgiveness, and we're going to do that a little later this morning. You know, we've, told, we've been told to wash our hands frequently, and I'm, I'm, we're all doing that. And, uh, you know, I was always told to sing the happy birthday song, so I got 20 seconds of washing in. But I found that the Lord's Prayer also takes 20 seconds. So as you're washing your hands, let's all say the Lord's Prayer. I would say that prayer repeatedly and repeatedly in this season. That'd be a great thing for us to do. On the first Sunday of Lent, only a few weeks ago, it seems like a few months ago, but on the first Sunday of Lent, I stood up in front of our church and I said something that seems silly today. I said, I suggest that we all give something up for Lent. And we've had to give up a lot. And we've given up restaurants and concerts and sporting events. And we've given up handshakes and hugs and proximity. Uh, we've given up a lot. In another setting, I said this may be the lentiest Lent we've ever had. And uh, it's almost like God is forcing us to do some things that we've been avoiding. Now, I, I do not think that God caused the coronavirus. I do not believe that. But I believe that our God could be doing what he always does and in a bad situation, bringing good. It's like God is saying, you you don't have time for solitude? I can arrange that. Uh, Busyness is destroying your soul? I can fix that. Your thoughts remain at a superficial level? I can solve that. Right now, I'm not saying that what we're going through is good. What we're going through is not good. It's not good. It is a crisis. But don't waste a crisis. There are some lessons that come no other way. I was reading today in uh, Romans chapter 8 these wonderful words. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation, fallen creation, is feeling frustrated right now. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. There is disease and bad things And it longs to be liberated from its bondage to decay, and one day it will. And then he goes on uh, a little bit later, this 
classic verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, God works for the good. It does not say all things are good. They're not. All things are not good. But God works in all things for good. And I've mentioned some of the good that I think we're going to see already. But in addition, uh, God is letting us realize just how vulnerable we human beings are in a broken world. Uh, We are fragile, and it's good to be aware of that. God is letting us experience that we are not in control of our existence. We think we can make plans and execute them and make things happen, and we're learning some lessons here. God is using this common crisis to minimize our divisions and divisiveness. All of humanity is coming together in a really beautiful way. And God is helping us realize that life only works, life on this planet only works when we call out to and depend upon our Creator and Redeemer. Let's go on and see what what Paul writes in this great chapter. He says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a truth we can cling to right now. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the truth that nothing can separate us from your love. And we know that all of creation is frustrated right now, longing to be liberated from the bondage of decay. We feel it in ourselves, God. And we pray that that freedom would one day come. We thank you for the promises that you work in all things for good. And we pray you would do that right now, that you would teach us what we need to know, that not a single lesson would be lost on us in this unique season. We pray for those on the front lines of fighting this virus, for those in healthcare and medicine and the, the researchers working to find vaccines, uh, that you would expand their efforts. We pray for this unity that we're finding where all political parties and all nations are coming together for a common cause. God, teach us something in our newfound unity. We pray protection for those who are at risk. Uh, God, we know that we live in a world that is not perfect and someday... And you're in the process of doing it right now. You are making new all of heaven and earth, and we trust you in that. We claim your promises with thanksgiving. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited we can continue our series of the Lord's Prayer in this creative way. And we're going to tackle one of the most foundational aspects of the gospel, the concept of forgiveness. Jesus taught his disciples Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, forgiveness is universally understood. It crosses cultures and people and history. And while there is a uniqueness to the Christian concept of forgiveness, uh, it's not exclusive to it. The Bhagavad Gita, an ancient Sanskrit text, a non-Christian text says, if you want to see the brave, look to those who can return love for hatred. But if you want to see the heroic, look to those who can forgive There's something heroic in forgiveness, beautiful, powerful, and even inspiring. In October of 1991, a newlywed couple, a newlywed Amish couple, Sarah and Aaron, 
uh, were enjoying their honeymoon. And typical Amish uh, honeymoon, they would travel the countryside in their horse and buggy and visit family and sharing with them uh, this new marriage. Well, at the same time, a 17-year-old boy named Joel was out on the road, and he was driving around uh, on his new vehicle. And he says in his own words that he wanted to blow past these guys to show how cool he really was. And he did so, and on that fateful day, at seven, over 70 miles per hour, Joel hit the buggy of Aaron and Sarah. Later that night, Sarah died in the hospital. The day after the event, Joel, with his parents, went to the house of Aaron, not knowing uh, what to do, but he knew that he had to go visit them. And he was worried, and he was overwhelmed with guilt and not knowing what to do. He knocked on that door, and he says as he knocked on that door, the first person to greet him uh, was actually Aaron's grandfather. And Aaron's grandfather hugged Joel. And after Aaron's grandfather hugged Joel, uh, Aaron's parents hugged Joel. And then Sarah's parents held Joel. And finally, Aaron himself came up to the door. And Joel asked him, how can I ever forgive you? What can I do to pay you back? And it says in that moment, Aaron hugged Joel. This new widow hugged Joel. And in in Joel's own words, he says, they hugged as the freedom of forgiveness swept over and through him. The hug of freedom a hug of forgiveness swept over and through him. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus addresses forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In our time together, I want to tackle three concepts to explore this powerful prayer of forgiveness. First is the assumption of guilt. Second is the confidence in our petition. And third, the power in the transformation. First, the assumption of guilt Second, the confidence in our petition. And finally, the power in the transformation, the assumption of guilt. In the ancient world, forgiveness was also seen as something heroic like us, something beyond the normal capacity of men and women. And even then, or rather especially then, there was a clear idea of what was morally right and what was morally wrong. Even if they weren't from a Judaic perspective, most cultures had the idea of morality that resembled the Ten Commandments, when we look at the Egyptians, when we look at the Babylonians. And they understood that going against these moral truths were not just against each other, but had a divine transgression as well. In our modern world, we have a tendency to separate the physical and the spiritual, but in the ancient world, the spiritual and the physical overlapped each other very intimately. For them, when there was a a bad crop season, It wasn't because of just the weather. They believed it was because the gods were angry at them. And if they had not brought a a sufficient sacrifice to a particular god, they knew there would be ramifications on their lives, to their health, to their family, and even their livelihood. That any transgression done in the physical world carried with it a transgression in the spiritual world, a divine world. One Sumerian prayer Please for forgiveness to their God, a non-Christian prayer we find in the ancient text. He says, O God, whom I know or do not know, my transgressions are many, great are my sins. The transgressions which I have committed, let the wind carry away. My many misdeeds strip off like a garment. O my God, my transgressions are seven times seven. Remove my transgressions. If you're familiar with the Bible, you can see a very strong similarity to that prayer to the psalm we see in Psalm 51. 
written by an Old Testament king named David, an Israelite. In that prayer, in that psalm, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And this is the important part. It says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David writes this in response to being exposed to committing adultery with a married woman and having the husband of that woman killed in battle. But his confession is towards God. David understood transgression against another person was in direct relation to his transgression against the divine God. Now, why is this all so important? See, people in the ancient world and people in Jesus's world understood this concept. It wasn't hard for them to see their guilt and sinfulness before God because they had seen the ways they had treated each other, ways in which they hadn't lived up to loving others, ways in which they had swindled other people, and they connected it all to their guilt before God himself. They connected it to the divine God, the guilt that they felt. But what about us today? What about us today? Most of us treat sin as a habit to get over or even a character flaw we have to work through and fail to see it as the heavy weight of guilt that condemns us before a holy God. See, we don't assume ourselves guilty before God. Rather, we rather just justify our intentions before him instead. We say stuff like, well, at least I'm not that bad of a person. Or we say, well, you should have seen how they were acting. Now, many of us this week have uh, been out and see people hoarding things or driving around places. I've been guilty of doing this very thing where I've criticized those people that do hoard. I've criticized those people on the road while at the same time justifying the things I buy and justifying myself while I'm on the road. See, we compare and we minimize or we deflect. But for us today, this prayer, we have to return back to that mountainside with Jesus and assume our guilt in all its ugliness, wretchedness, and filth. See, the prayer doesn't say, if we have sinned, forgive us our debts. Jesus assumes our guilt. He's just waiting for us to acknowledge it as well, that we're sinners before God and assuming the guilt that's heavy on us. And once we do that, there's this boldness and confidence that we can go to him and pray for, which is our second point, the confidence in our petition. It says, Father, forgive us our debts. Another passage, Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and and help us in our time of need. See, when we think of a confident person, who do you think of? When I originally was working on this sermon, the first person I think of, thought of was actually the Fonz from an old TV show. He just seems such like a confident person, someone who's bold and daring, not afraid to defile, who's wise and intelligent. When we think of confidence, we think of a person who's like that. Dr. Albert uh, Bandura, one of the most uh, renowned psychologists of our time, wrote that confidence is considered one of the most influential motivators and regulators of behavior in people's everyday lives. It affects our careers, it affects our relationships, and even affects our own happiness. And I think most of the time when we think of confidence, we always think of it as in reference to self-confidence. 
But that's not what the author of Hebrews is talking about in terms of confidence. See, we approach God with confidence not because of faith in ourselves, but rather faith in another person. Our confidence comes from Jesus. And how does Jesus produce that confidence in us as we approach our God? In the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and is teaching us now, he uses the Greek word aphilomata, or translated debt in English. It's this marketplace word that places a transactional element between you and God. See, our sin has accumulated a debt that we owe to God, a debt we can never pay on our own. And the beauty of the gospel comes here forth, comes forth here where Jesus says, I will take that debt on, him, on myself. In Jesus, he takes all your debt and takes it upon himself and in return gives you a righteous, sinless life. Theologians have referred to this as the great exchange. And Paul writes this in a better way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be a sin for us so that in him we, could, we might become the righteousness of God. So we approach in confidence knowing our forgiveness is in Christ and him alone. For before us is not our debt of sin, but rather the righteousness of Jesus Christ that propels us to petition and confidence. So let us stand with the Apostle John as he wrote in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now what does that life look like? A life that's received this forgiveness and grace. What does that life look like? And that our final point we want to tackle is the power in the transformation. <clears throat> the second half of our petition ends with, as we also have forgiven our debtors, there's this relational aspect of forgiveness. A heart that has received the forgiveness of God cannot help but impact all other relationships. What Jesus is saying in this upside-down kingdom, the people of God will be marked, will be distinguished between themselves and the rest of the world, and that mark will be forgiveness. As much armies during medieval times, when they would go into battle, they would carry themselves under the banner of their kingdom or family to represent who they belong to. For us in Jesus's kingdom, what marks us is the banner of forgiveness. And this will transform the people in the way they live their lives and the banner in which they live their lives under. Joel, the teenager I referenced earlier in the story with the Amish couple, and a teen, as a teenager, he recollects that moment that he was hugged by Aaron and how it transformed him. And in his own word, he says that forgiveness is like keys in a jail. It frees you. It frees the person who has wronged, who has been wronged, and the person who did the wrong. He says, they gave me the gift of freedom. <clears throat> Joel would later go on to serve as a church planning missionary abroad and now serves actually as a pastor right now in Pennsylvania. And he credits that moment that transformed him forever, that changed the trajectory of his life. See, most of us now are feeling anxious and nervous and fearful in light of our current situation. And it's in these moments that we're wired toward hoarding and protecting and defending. If you don't believe me, just turn on the news or turn, look at social media and you can see the chaos in our world. But in those moments, we can't restrict forgiveness. 
It's a moment for us to live under the banner of forgiveness. See, it's easy to forgive people when people are kind and genuine and sorrowful. But what happens if they're not? What if they're caught up in the anxiety and the fear like we are now? What does that look like when people are caught up in that? How do we respond to people that have wronged us? But what would it look like if we picked up the banner of forgiveness first, even before people started turning their lives for the better? What would it look like in our households if we decided to wave the banner of forgiveness with our spouse and children and neighbor, even before they could even respond to us? What would it look like if we waved the banner of forgiveness in our cities and communities and the world itself before they even started turning towards you? Not because of faith in ourselves, but in Jesus himself. See, I have confidence. I have strong confidence that we can be brave in this moment. Brothers and sisters all over the world, I have confidence the church can rise up. I have confidence that we can deliver that first step of forgiveness. I have confidence that we can reach out to that neighbor, to that person that we haven't talked to. I have confidence that we can be the kind of people that can wave the banner of forgiveness, not because in you or me, but because in Jesus. See, Jesus said that very thing before our hearts could turn towards him, before our hearts were motivated to turn towards our good God, while we are still far away, while we were sinners, Jesus himself brought the banner of forgiveness, that he waved the banner of forgiveness and pursued after us. It's in his power that he can transform a broken and sinful person like me, and that I can have hope that he can use me to extend forgiveness to others. So I encourage you in this time where we're caught up in fear and anxiety to live in a way this coming week where we wave the banner of forgiveness where we pray the Lord's Prayer over each and every one of our lives. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness of who you are. And Lord, while we were broken, while we were fall off, far off, while we didn't even know how to pursue after you, you reached out and sent your son Jesus to claim us, to reclaim us, to restore us, to bring us into your family. And Father, in that same breath, you called us to be an extension of that kingdom, this upside-down kingdom in our world today. Give us the power of grace, the power of hope, and the power of forgiveness, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we go, I want to encourage you to join with us again next week as we worship together in this unique way online, as we fellowship together, as we're transformed by the word, as we're shaped and sent out by the word, I challenge you to come back with us as we continue our series in the Lord's Prayer. But now receive this benediction, this good word from scripture, from God himself to us, that we can go forth, even in our homes, practice God's grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.